The Rural Health Voice, Episode 54, Colorectal Cancer. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Why is it important to talk to your family members about their health history? Mindy Coughlin joined me to discuss the efforts of her nonprofit, Hitting Cancer Below the Belt, and the risk factors you should consider for colorectal cancer. Well, welcome, Mindy. Glad to have you on the podcast. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, Beth. Thank you so much. Now, this is going to be released in March, and March is a very special month for hitting cancer below the belt. Why is that? What are you doing to mark the occasion? Yes, um, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And um, honestly, Beth, since we're a colorectal cancer prevention nonprofit, colorectal cancer awareness um, month is every day for us. So there's um, basically what we do for the month is we stay open to make sure that we can um, meet the um, requests that come in for either presentations or appearances with our inflatable colon, interviews, things of that nature. So we definitely ramp up our educational messages during um, the month, but at the same time, we keep our calendar open. We start getting requests sometimes um, in late January, early February for certain appearances. We just got back from Roanoke last week um, for for uh, an appearance with... um, Carillion, Roanoke Carillion Clinic down there. Dr. Lindsay Byerly is amazing, and um, she invited us to come down and support her initiative. All right, so you said something that I'm going to have to backtrack and ask more about. Inflatable colon. Tell me about the inflatable colon. Oh, gosh, what a great purchase Um, back in 2018. We had some some grant money left over, and I... um, I really have always wanted this inflatable colon that I've seen at other events throughout the years. And um, I wasn't sure, gosh, if we could actually, you know, pull it off and we, we were able to. It's such an educational but entertaining tool that really breaks the ice. And when you're talking about colorectal cancer, um, you need that you need that ice to be broken. And a lot of folks obviously are not comfortable talking about um, bathroom habits or, or irregular bathroom habits and signs and symptoms of potential GI issues. So... Um, the inflatable colon allows us to start that conversation, but at the same time, um, it allows us to let people know that their colon is their large intestine. A lot of folks aren't aware that their um, that their their colon is the large bowel or large intestine. So, and and this is all ages. A lot of folks just sometimes need a little bit of an anatomy lesson as well. And that's again the very first step to defeating this disease. Is 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 is, is raising awareness and bringing education to the public. Sure. And we've talked before on this podcast about the need for health literacy and being able to talk to patients in terms that they understand. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And in a fun way too, a non-threatening way. And that's why we love the inflatable colon. It's a 10 foot by 10 foot. So you actually walk through it and, um, and you see what a clean colon looks like as well as what a polyp looks like. And then um, some Crohn's disease is is also um, embedded inside the um, colon as well. Diverticulitis and then, uh, of course, malignant polyps are also seen. So it, 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 it is very educational. 
So aside from having a giant inflatable colon that's big enough for me to walk through, what else does hitting cancer below the belt do? Yeah, well, we have two um, main initiatives, and it started with Eat Clean, Get Screened. So um, Eat Clean is obviously the prevention side of of hitting cancer below the belt. We also go by HCB2, the acronym. And then the Get Screened side is obviously the early detection work that we do. Um, and so we've kind of blown out those initiatives a whole lot more. And so the screening side of HCB2 is um, encompasses the nine um, clinics. We have five free clinics here in the Richmond area where we have created colorectal cancer screening programs. And, um, and then we fund these programs. We fund the actual in-home um, screening kits and the testing strips for the staff and the medical, the medical teams at each clinic to actually do testing on site for their patients. And we've got one um, east of Richmond, and then we have three up in the Northern Virginia area. So um, right now we're funding nine sites, which is fantastic. And, and we're looking for more partners um, across the state of Virginia to help support as well um, in, the, in regards to their um, screening needs. At the same time, um, we have a Can We Talk initiative, which is basically just that. Hey, can we have a conversation? Can we talk about not only screening, but GI symptoms and that sort of thing? Um, these are presentations that we do at uh, Rotary Clubs, civic organizations, chambers of commerce, businesses, organizations, schools, many presentations on site via Zoom, and then obviously um, um, just with um, our PDFs and whatnot, a lot of li literature and research we send, uh, literature and information we send out as well. So um, that is to stimulate the conversation about colorectal cancer, what it is, the signs and symptoms. Um, we've got one PDF that we love. It's a uh, just it's it's a short six six questions, very short, very simple, that basically pre-assesses one's risk for colorectal cancer and then what to do about it if um, some red flags are shown after you answer these six questions. So that's the Can We Talk initiative, a little bit more about um, in the funding at um, nine different sites. And then we also partner with Henrico Health Department um, during their annual flu shot clinic in October. Now, obviously in 2020, we weren't able to do this because it was a drive-through. It was a drive-through um, type of thing where normally we gather about 800 to 1,000 people in one day in one room, which obviously in 2020 we could not do. Um, but we're hoping to partner with them again. It'll be our fifth year if we are able to partner with them in 2021. And what we do is we pre-assess um, everybody who walks in for a flu shot. And if they're at a higher risk, they walk away with a free in-home colorectal cancer screening kit that they then mail back to the um, health department. And then we assist the medical team at the health department to, um, to get these completed tests um, screened. And then obviously if any of those are positive, we are able to refer them to um, the proper medical um, doctors, whether they have insurance or they don't have insurance. So that's a lot on the screening side that we do. And uh, we love that work. Um, we, have, we have seen many, many positives and have been able to um, get folks access to timely screening, which is wonderful. On the prevention side, that's our Fight Right initiative. So we talk a lot during our presentations and our social media messages and in our, our own podcasts 
um, about if we're going to fight cancer, let's fight the right way. And so we look at just three different, three different activities that we do every day. We, we eat every day, we move every day, and we breathe every day. So we talk a lot about nourishment, movement, and breath work um, to help um, calm the body down, boost the immune system, and help hopefully um, um, you know, deter any type of disease, not just cancer. We also offer a free healing basket to cancer patients and survivors. Um, they just have to make a request on our website and we deliver healing baskets, which are filled with gut-friendly, nutrient-dense um, foods that you can find in the, in the grocery store. So it's, it's, it, we do a kind of a lot in regards to prevention and early detection. And we really are very happy that we have this time to talk to you about it. So folks know a little bit more about our work and, and, and call us if, if we can serve in any way. And we will make sure we put a link to your website in the show notes so that people can access all those wonderful resources. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, I looked at your website a little bit in preparing for this interview, and there was a phrase on there that, that really piqued my attention. It said that one of the things that you're working on is eliminating the development of cancer. Is eliminating the development of colorectal cancer a realistic vision? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we like to say um, we're creating um, environments where cancer is challenged to survive. And so that can be a bodily environment in regards to where the immune system is strong enough to actually fight off cancer, which we know that can happen and it does happen, um, as well as cr creating community environments where cancer is challenged to survive. So that would be more um, getting more folks engaged in this conversation, getting more community members screened, um, which obviously we know is a, a, a huge prevention method of, of um, you know, preventing colorectal cancer. So yeah, we like to say we are, we are helping to create um, environments where cancer is challenged to survive because it can happen and it does happen and we need it to happen more often. Great. In thinking about this, you know, and, and this is probably a little bit of a, a misinformation, but when I think about cancer, I think, you know, breast cancer, women, colon cancer, men. Is that accurate? It's, it, no, it's not. But it, unfortunately, a, a lot of people think that colorectal cancer is a, um, an old man's disease. And just backing up a little bit, colorectal cancer is a blend of colon and rectal cancer. So, and they are two different cancers, but they've kind of combined them together since they're in the same area because you have the colon, the rectum, and the anus um, that eliminates the bowel. So when I say colorectal cancer, I'm blending colon and rectal cancer together. And it has been thought of as an old man's disease, but unfortunately it's, um, it's that, that's, that's a misconception. Um, it's basically 50-50. I think it's actually 51% men and 49% women, something like that. But it's basically 50-50. And it's definitely not an old man's disease. Diagnosis is rising sharply in the under 50 population. The um, American Cancer Society dropped their screening age to 45 a couple years ago. And the, um, um, the United States Preventative Services Task Force, that is the organization that creates guidelines that insurance companies follow. They just drafted recommendations um, to drop the screening age to 45 for everybody. Now, that's not confirmed yet. I believe they meet at the, this summer to confirm that, um, that drop in screening age. If so, most insurance companies will then follow suit. Um, but it's not really until 
um, the guideline organizations are, are dropping their screening age. Um, so that's a good thing. However, um, the, if you're born after 1990, you're four times more likely to be diagnosed with rectal cancer and two times more likely to be diagnosed with, with colon cancer. So, you know, we're, we're seeing colon cancer in, in the 20s and in the 30s, men and women. And I'm talking to people just about every day that are under the age of 40 that have late stage colorectal cancer. These folks usually are diagnosed at the later stages, whether they've disregarded their symptoms or the medical community has disregarded their symptoms. So um, it, it, this is not an old man's disease. It is both men and women, and it's it's definitely not over the age of 50. Now, your your chances of of, of getting colorectal cancer is higher as you age, but what we're seeing most recently is a sharp uptick in colorectal cancer in the younger population. So do we know why there's an increase in colorectal mm. cancer? Yeah, there's a lot of different um, thoughts out there. There's no definitive research, but I know research is being done. However, um, I know that what's being looked at is possible the overuse of um, antibiotics that's looking people are looking into that they're also looking into the um, quality of the food system such as some of the pesticides I know Monsanto that is um, you know the creator of Roundup has been through legal battles out in California in regards to their cancer causing agents so there there's talk and I know there's some research out there but nothing definitive right now um, a lot of people are thinking, you know, there's an uptake of, of, of alcohol consumption as well. Um, I, I will share with you that my, um, my first husband did pass away of colorectal cancer. That's why I started the organization. He was only 43. He was diagnosed at 41. Um, he did not smoke. He did not drink. And he didn't, he ate a decent diet. It wasn't great, but it certainly wasn't, it wasn't bad. Um, and he had no family history. So, you know, we always have to keep in mind when we're trying to find the reason of, of colorectal cancer, I think there's multiple things happening. Um, and uh, yeah, it, 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 it's not an answer that we can conclusively say we, we know exactly what's causing this issue. Now, you mentioned that your first husband, you know, didn't have a lot of the typical risk factors. Are there risk factors sh people should be aware of mm -hmm. that maybe to look out for? Unfortunately. Um, being African-American is a, is a higher risk factor, we know. And so actually the screening age for the black community is 45 and insurance will pay for that. Um, I just want to make note of that. Um, some other risk factors obviously are having GI issues um, and or, or diagnosis such as, um, oh gosh, you know, Crohn's disease, di diverticulitis, um, all of these types of GI issues can, can be a prerequisite to potential problems. Um, we do know that diet and lifestyle and all cancers, all cancers, we know diet, lifestyle choices, as well as actually um, environmental factors are about 70% of, of increasing the risk of, of, of a cancer being developed, where genetics is are usually anywhere between 25 and 30%. And that's with all cancers. So, um, you know, <laughs> we've always told, you know, we, we've known for decades that, that, exercising is in, in, in very important. We know that a clean diet is very important. We now are also looking at stress reduction. We know that stress is extremely inflammatory to the body, chronic stress. Um, and we know our population is, unfortunately, most of us are 
chronically stressed, um, which causes um, a lot of issues that um, that can lead to some type of um, disease, even an autoimmune disease, not even just cancer. So, you know, we're looking at the way that we're living our life, but now we're also looking at um, the um, the environmental factors as well. Um, we, you know, our air, as we know, our air is not as clean as it once was. Um, we now know, obviously, you know, there's more additional pesticides on our foods. There's all kinds of things that folks are looking at to see if any of these changes that have been occurring over the last several decades are creating more of an environment where cancer is allowed to thrive. And you noted that, you know, part of the point of your inflatable colon is to give people the opportunity to have an environment where they can talk about, you know, issues they might not otherwise be comfortable talking about. Yeah. Are there signs and symptoms that I should be looking for if I was worried about colorectal cancer? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the main things that we talk about with folks are um, change in bowel habits. If you once were um, regular and now um, you're not as regular or you're going back from between constipation and diarrhea, um, obviously that's something to bring up to your doctor. Um, obviously blood in the stool, that's that's a number one um, uh, a number one risk factor for some type of GI issue. That doesn't mean that you have cancer or colorectal cancer, but it does mean that you need to be screened and that needs to be discussed. Um, it could be a hemorrhoid, but it it may not. And so um, even if you are told that that's most likely a hemorrhoid, um, it's always best to continue to follow up. Um, thin stools. Um, sometimes um, a polyp is is big enough that it's really hard to pass stools, and so the stools themselves are thin. Um, pain or bloating, um, chronic pain or bloating in in the abdominal area is something to also discuss. And obviously, any any time anytime you 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 suffer weight loss for no unknown reason, um, um, or for for an unknown reason, excuse me, um, needs to be discussed with your doctor as well. Because there's always a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. So you're based in Richmond, and you know, obviously, then a lot of your focus is on Richmond and the surrounding communities. Are there resources and services available for rural Virginia? Um, you know, that's that's a great um, question. We love partnering with our our rural um, Virginia partners. We again, as I I believe I stated earlier, we we travel to different areas, whether it's Oh gosh, Danville, um, Emporia, um, you know, Christiansburg. Um, we've 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 connected with certain GI groups down in those areas, and the main thing that we want to do, obviously, is start the conversation and raise awareness in regards to what needs to be discussed with your doctor. Like we just discussed the symptoms, that sort of thing, um, and then raise the patient's confidence to talk to their doctor about that at the same time, same time, excuse me, is to talk about your family history with your loved ones. Even if you um, had a polyp removed at a colonoscopy, that needs to be discussed with your loved ones because if it's a constant polyps being removed, then that may mean that your family members might need to screen a little bit earlier. It's this kind of information that we're really trying to get out. In regards to actually increasing access to timely screening, um, the GI groups I know are, 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 are further away in the rural area. Transportation is an issue. So what, for a lot of, a lot of clinics, um, 
get gathering people together and educating is an issue. Um, again, because of transportation. So anytime that we work or speak with anybody out in the rural community, transportation and actually um, access to, to food, to clean food is also an issue. We're working right now with some folks in Sussex um, because they're they are in a food desert where unfortunately there's so many folks that are experiencing the same thing. And so right now we're in conversations in regards to um, you know, where are the grants out there where we can get, there is somebody there that's interested in, in opening a grocery store. What are the grants out there um, that can help create this smaller grocery store? Um, we're also getting ready to talk to Virginia Extension to see what kind of um, ideas that they may have, because I believe they've got a program as well. We're chatting with our contacts here in the Richmond area, grocers who are friends of us, to find out a little bit like how actually a grocery store can work. How can we bring in more farmers markets down in that area? So when we're working with the rural community, we don't really go in with an agenda. We literally just try and listen to what they are needing. Some are needing transportation. Some are needing actually GI doctors, because I know some folks have left. And so it's quite a ways to even get to a GI practitioner. Um, and then some are, are in food deserts. So the needs are, are, are great in the rural area. And I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to explain that to you, obviously. But um, when we are working, or when someone from the rural area contacts us, the very first thing, obviously, we are, are, are wanting to hear is what is needed. And sometimes it's just basic. Can you come down with your inflatable colon? Because we're having a fair and can you just be here? I'm like, and of course we go. Absolutely. So um, I don't have a direct answer for you. Um, it really depends on, on the needs of that rural community. So if a hospital or clinic or maybe community uh, leader you know, was worried about colorectal cancer in the community, they wanted to get involved with HCB2, bring services community, what should they do? Mm -hmm. They can easily just contact us um, through in info at hcb2.org. And I'd like to hear about what their wishes are and, and what they want to bring to their community. And then we can use our contacts and our resources and try to get more information and make, you know, more connections so they can move towards those goals. Um, we have funded screening programs for rural communities in the past. Our main thing is we actually fund a colorectal cancer screening program because that we can do that. That that's not difficult at all. That's what we do. That's not difficult. What becomes more of a difficulty is if you have a positive, where is this person who's um, underinsured or uninsured going to go for additional care? The colonoscopy would be the next step. And that's the main thing that we need to have more conversations with these folks is to make sure that there's a connection somewhere to a GI doctor, whether it's 45 minutes away or um, maybe it is somebody local. These are the kind of, kind of conversations that we, we need to have because ideally we would love to be funding screening programs in rural areas across the state of Virginia. Absolutely, we can do that. But it's that next step of care if they're positive, these folks need to make sure that they are getting um, access to timely diagnostic screening and, um, and have the transportation and the um, ability to take off work and the ability for their loved one who has to come with them to take off work. There's a lot of moving parts that goes into this that are, that are barriers when you move into the rural communities. 
So um, again, these are the, the an open conversation about what the goal is, what the needs are, and and where we can come in and actually provide direct service or at least some sort of of some sort of resources or connections to move um, those folks closer to, to towards their goal. Which actually leads nicely into my last question, which is, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare in rural America, what would you do? Food, clean food, farmers, get people um, clean food through, um, you know, their the local farmers get a, um, I would love, <laughs> if I had extra money and time, I would love to open up a, a small clean market where you can just get basic necessities that are clean so folks don't have to go to Dollar General and nothing against Dollar General, but Dollar General is not where you need to be getting your food. But but it does serve, unfortunately, when there is nothing else, it is serving a purpose. But we can't be having potato chips for um, for breakfast and um, you know McDonald's for lunch and then nothing for dinner. Um, we need to, we need we need to, <laughs> we can do better. We can do better. But at first, it would be food because um, preventing disease is a whole lot less costly, right? Than um, than treating and potentially losing someone. Because if you think about it, what one loss of life? Think of the people that are around that one person. I mean, I, my husband was the baby out of seven, so there was at least twenty-five to thirty direct family members that were devastated, devastated, and then also financially. Some folks can be obviously financially devastated as well. So prevention is um, is extremely important, and I think the one thing that can be done can be done is food. Bring in clean food. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity, Beth. It was so nice chatting with you. That's Mindy Coughlin from Hitting Cancer Below the Belt, advocating for better access to healthy food. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, make sure you check out the Virginia Rural Health Association's website for upcoming programs and events. Find us at vrha.org. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.